Hey everyone, it is Audrey Freeman here with another episode of Sportive AF. Today's guest is Michael McLennan. He is a Canadian playwriter, television writer and television producer, best known as a writer and producer of many television series, including the new Tiny Pretty Things, which is now on Netflix. Today's conversation was so incredible and I was so grateful for his time and energy. I really, really hope you guys enjoy. We talk all about Tiny Pretty Things, his incredible career and how to get started in the acting industry if that's for you. Hope you guys enjoy and before we get started, don't forget to follow at Sportive AF on social media. Thank you guys. Let's get into it. Hi, Michael. I am so thrilled to have you on today's episode. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to the conversation, Audrey. Yay. So how has your morning and day been? Because it's nighttime, isn't it? It's great. Yeah, we're, we're in, uh, it's nighttime in Los Angeles here. We, uh, you know, I'm working on uh, developing a, a new project. Uh, so that's been the main thing that I've been focused on today. And uh, did a little walk with the dog. Um, we're like the one part of LA that, or one part of the, the United States that isn't under some kind of crazy polar vortex right now, yeah. thank you global climate change. Uh, and so, yeah, we're just kind of grateful that it's a sunny day and we can do things like, um, run around a park, um, in the middle of, of the day with a t-shirt on. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's good. yeah, definitely. I can definitely relate. Australia is like that as well at the moment. So thank, yeah. thank goodness for that. Um, so I want to start right at the beginning with your career. I will get into Tiny Pretty Things a bit later, but I first want to start at the beginning and how you got into this industry. Well, I started in theatre originally. I um, uh, I had, uh, I think people say, you know, that people in theatre, they either start as an actor or they start as a tech- techie. Yeah. And I started as an actor, not nothing of great note, but that was my great passion in growing up. And at a certain point, I went through sort of acting to, to theater directing to um, deciding to quit my job at 25. I was running an artist run center at the time, an art gallery oh. and uh, in Victoria, British Columbia. And I decided to give myself one year to write a play and produce it. And this was advice I would never <laughs> give anybody else. But I basically told myself, like, if this was not a great success, I would quit and I would go back to being an arts administrator. Wow. And like, just terrible, terrible. Um, yeah. But I just I just didn't want to be like one of those people who, who yeah. was struggling and didn't really know that, you know, that he or she mm. had talent, didn't have talent. And to my great good fortune, my first play was a, a real hit. And it was produced multiple times and translated and published. And it sort of launched wow. me into a, a journey as a writer. And I had the confidence to sort of keep with it. I worked in full time in theater for about another five, four or five years. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize that my ambitions were just a little greater than what theater could provide me that, you know, the world was not just sort of, I I wanted to do more than just, you know, write a play every year or so. And so I decided to go to film school in Toronto, the Canadian Film Center. And uh, at the time I did not uh, intend to write for television. Um, Mm -hmm. I hadn't really, I you know, it was, it was sort of, it was the late nineties. It, people weren't, the, 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 what, television wasn't what it is today. Mm-hmm. And like all of us, we just thought we would make feature films, but if, which of course was starting to already kind of, 
kind of go away. Right. And when I learned what a showrunner does, which is what I, you know, which I am, I am on, on Tiny Pretty Things, I was like, that's me. Like, I love that combination of being a writer, being alone in my room in front yes. of my, you know, uh, computer screen, tapping out a script, but also being a collaborator and working with hundreds of people, a start initially, you know, a dozen or so, less than a half dozen maybe writers uh, to, to create, uh, you know, a, a, a story together, but ultimately to do a little bit of what I was doing when I quit my job, which was to kind of, you know, large scale event coordination, working with, uh, you know, inspiring a, a number of a, a wide array of different people. Yeah. And I felt like that was kind of a sweet spot for me that I, I liked that idea of being both the kind of creative, but also the le left brain, right brain kind of thing. Yeah. And that's when I decided that's what I really wanted to pursue. Yeah. Wow. So do you feel that starting with theater really built that passion and that kind of evolved? I do. I feel so fortunate about that. I mean, firstly, um, you know, the, the storytelling in mm -hmm. theater, you know, you, you, you really have to drill down into language and you have yeah. to really understand what it is that the story is. Cause you, you, all you, all you have is bodies on a stage essentially. Yeah. And I think that was really um, a good lesson for me. And the other thing I will say, and, and this is the perfect tiny, pretty things is the perfect um, uh, kind of encapsulation of this is that I, unlike many uh, television writers, I love and respect and, and, and am inspired by actors. Mm. In theater, you're on the stage with actors. You're, you're constantly, you're writing for their voices. You're revising little things constantly. And there's a kind of glorious, when it's working, there's a really glorious sort of um, connection to that that you're sort of sending out these kind of valentines really to, to actors uh, and to see what they'll do with that. And, you know, I look at a lot of my colleagues who don't have that same kind of experience with actors. And I think that it, it, it affects your work. You know, a lot of, a lot of showrunners, a lot of writers sort of almost see an actor as a kind of necessary evil where you, you sort of, yeah, well, sooner or later, they've got to, you know, they're going to have their issues and their changes yeah. and, you know, they've got to act this damn thing. But for me, like it, it, it was really, uh, um, it's a, that's the part that I, I think as it was, it was a great lesson that I think theater really taught me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And when you started film, so yeah. from film school, how did you feel that your work differentiated from theater to then kind of doing film? Well, that's a really good question. So I think the main thing that I learned was, in, in theater, really, all you have is the dialogue. I mean, you can describe what the set's going to be and you can, you know, describe that they walk left to right or, you know, you can talk about how you think they're going to say a line. But ultimately, all of that is kind of a race. If you look at somebody like Shakespeare, like all we have of him are the lines of dialogue. There's yes. virtually no stage directions. And, and it's sort of understood that anything that anybody would write as a stage direction is kind of like up for grabs, you can change it. So I think that, tele, that, 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 that writing for theater is really about how do you write through the body of your actor from by what they say. And television is much more about 
describing images. It's about how you really organize the story. Ultimately, you write words of dialogue, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is the action. The main thing is the people in a room together and what they're doing. And I think we even feel that, you know, when you, when you go to the theater, which, which, you know, hopefully we'll all get to do again soon. Although I think in Australia, you're already able to do that. Yay, Australia and good, <laughs> good health policy. But, you know, when you go to the theater, you, can, you, you know, you come out the door and you're like talking about that great line and you're remembering, you know, a line of dialogue and quoting it. And more, more often than not, when you're talking about and celebrating a moment in film or TV, it's not about the dialogue. It's about that, mo it's that look on her face. It's that, yeah. it's that heartbreaking walk away, you know? And of course you need the dialogue to kind of join things together, but the, the, the most powerful moments are generally speaking nonverbal. So I think that's something I had to learn is that it, I'm still a storyteller, but my, my tool, the, 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 the things at the front row of my toolbox changed once I started to write for the screen. And it was much more about thinking about the images and the actions of, of the players rather than the, the words. That's incredible. I was gonna ask actually, did you learn that or have you kind of like, thought about that and through experience you've kind of I, I, you know I've never had anybody else say that no. um you heard it here first yep. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if I'm right I don't know if other people would agree to that I, I would agree about that but yeah. um yeah it's just something I thought about uh, just in terms of what I had to do as I recalibrated my the terms of my storytelling because for quite a while I was doing both still I mean yes. I have six published plays and they've been done around the world. And I'm not really in the world of theater now, but I think for the time when I was kind of like bilingual, if you mm -hmm. will, I was thinking a lot about those things. And, and that's kind of one of the things that I realized I was being challenged to do as a storyteller for the screen was to think more in terms of the image rather than the word. That's amazing. I love that. Now I have read that you studied a lot of English and English literature how do you feel that that helped you? I'm so glad. It's a, oh, these are all good questions, really. <laughs> um, I'm, 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 I'm really glad that that is, was my journey. I didn't start, I didn't study English Lit thinking I would be a writer. But I think what it did was it taught me in a deep sense how to read. So how do you really see what's there on the page how do you imagine it how do you understand the layers of meaning and metaphor and and um the kind of narrative deeper narrative accomplishments of great works of literature mm -hmm. uh, it also taught me how to have a response to those things how to like think about what i'd um read and ultimately then how to write about it. And so I think I, you know, I did take, I only ever took one creative writing course in my university career. It was a poetry class. I'm proud to say I got an A plus. Amazing. Um, <laughs> and, and poetry was like the right thing for me really. Cause, cause I think that in a way that what we do is, as, as um, dramatic storytellers is a kind of poetry. It's related. Yes. Poetry is in its history is related to the spoken word. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's an audio aural kind of thing. It's not a visual thing necessarily. And it's about, um, 
compression, you know, how little, how much can you say in the littlest time? And that's constantly the, the challenge that we have as storytellers for the screen, at least the one I, I the, 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 the challenge I set up for myself. And so I think when I, um, uh, when I sort of do the calibration, I'm, I'm glad for that, that little bit of confidence that, that, that the poetry um, workshop did. But I, I think ultimately I was better served, and this is no, no insult to my, my you know, um, co colleagues or fellow students at the time, but I was better served by reading the great works of, of mm. drama and literature and, and fiction rather than the, 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 the poems and plays and, and short stories that you know, my, yeah. my peers would have dashed off at the time. Mm. And I, it was only later that I really sort of dug deep into teaching myself how to write, which is mostly just by writing, but also, yeah. you know, really paying attention to the art forms that you're trying to um, dig into and, and, you know, to, to some degree, you know, reading books and things like that. So, so, I, but, but I think ultimately it was really my, my the best, I wouldn't have predicted. I, I, at the time I was taking it, I never would have imagined I would be a writer. Um, but uh, looking back, it was absolutely the best choice for me. Yeah. And I guess in a sense, you're kind of like learning from the greats by reading and studying all of their work. Absolutely. And, and much of my, you know, my honors degree was my honors uh, thesis was in um, was, was following a, some, some British, great British dramatists, uh, playwrights. Uh, so I, I was really paying attention to how, what they did and learning from them. Um, and so that was very uh, useful to me. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Now, what was that process like from finishing your studies and then kind of truly following that passion? Well, I, I think I sort of flirted around. I think this is probably a common thing for so many uh, people, maybe less so today, but I didn't come from a family where there were creative people. I did not have an artist in my family, uh, like at any generation. Um, so I was really unusual. And, and I sort of, you know, knew the story that, you know, you can't make a living at this and you, you, you know, you'll never be happy. And, and, you know, so I was not at all encouraged to get into the creative realms uh, even starting from a young age. And I certainly didn't see myself as a great writer uh, growing up. And I think <laughs> looking back, I think partly that's because I would sometimes like, you know, you'd get the creative writing assignment, but I would get like a slightly different idea. It's like, oh, I'm going to do it this way. And then I'm sort of not doing the assignment. So then yeah. I would get, you know, a B. And then it was like, oh, well, I'm a B writer, you know? Um, and it was, it wasn't, it was just because my own kind of creative, you know, uh, adventure, some, you know, qualities weren't, weren't really being recognized in education, but I, it took me a long time. Not a, I mean, I would say like a matter of years, I was sort of flirting around the arts world as a, I, you know, I ran a, uh, uh, I was the manager of a, a summer dance festival and an international um, dance school. Uh, I ran a, a fringe theater festival. You know, I was sort of, I was, orbiting the world of performing arts, but not myself really there. You know, I'd done a little, as I said, I'd done some acting and I continued to do that, but I wasn't really committing to that. 
And it was only in sort of in time where I, I, I just, looking back, I think I, it was just like, I kind of couldn't deny my own, you know, er, internal drive to try it. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and also then, you know, my, also my internal ambitions to, if I was going to do this, I, I had to be good at it. I, I needed to really, you know, learn the craft and do it well. And, and go big and you know which meant for me also moving cities and going bigger and you know going from Victoria to Vancouver Vancouver to Toronto Toronto to Los Angeles and and you you know those are those were huge um huge kind of scary moves to make at at certain points in my life's journey but I just at that point I felt like I was really called to keep going and incur and I had enough I was lucky enough to get good breaks and and have mentors that believed in me and also a little bit of sort of feeling kicked out of the nest a bit, you know, like at a certain point, I, I felt like I had outgrown certain communities. And so yeah. I decided to try a new one. And here I am. Yeah. I think adversity is sometimes the best, best way to just, yeah, say, totally. gotta do it. <laughs> so true. So true. Was there a moment amid, amidst this period kind of, I guess, where you were like, yep, I've made it. Like this is, this is it. Uh, well, you know, I feel like it's sort of a, it's sort of like a roller coaster where there's been a few times where I was like, oh my gosh, this is totally, I've made it, you know, like I'm going to be okay from here on in. And it's usually, you know, when I'm riding high on the success of a series I've done, I remember I probably the first time was a series I've, I, I, I did called Cadivas, which is, yeah. I think you can see they're all up on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and I remember after that, when, when it was going in its second season, I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is it. Like, it's so good. It's doing so well. I mean, the whole world is going to want to wor- work with me. And, you know, and after that was, finally you know not renew after a few seasons it wasn't renewed and then I was like oh no I've just got to kind of start from the beginning again and but but after that I moved to LA you know and 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 then I did Queer as Folk and then I was like after Queer as Folk I was like oh my gosh the whole world's gonna want you know I'm I made it I mean it's gonna be fine and again you realize no it's still a struggle so so it's it's sort of I feel like I've been lucky and that I've kind of gone I've, I've had enough really successes and good breaks that have given me that but I've also been humbled by the times that it's sort of it it takes you back to who you know that the business is not in the business of of just um giving people many people free rides and certainly I've never been lucky enough to do that so yeah I, I don't know that I've yeah. So I guess my, the short answer after all, all that I've just said, the short way to answer that is I've had a number of times where I thought I'd made it. And then I've, I, they were followed up by a number of times where I realized that the journey was still required a great deal of me. And I still was going to have to work for everything I, I got. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And from that first series you did and you kind of had that moment, did you feel it was necessary for you to then move to LA after that for a new change of kind of? I was really lucky, Audrey, because I, uh, this is gonna sound, I don't know, this is maybe the tacky way of putting it, but I didn't go to LA, LA came to me. Okay. So I was in Toronto, I had done a, a number of TV series there. 
Uh, I'd done a feature film that that wasn't great, but the script was really good. Yeah. And it was enough to get the attention of the producers on Queer as Folk. And they had just fired all their writers off the first season. And they were looking for new writers. And they really liked the script and they liked me and they liked my voice and they liked my story. Mm-hmm. And so that, the irony was I was living in Toronto. It was being filmed in Toronto, but, but I had to move to Los Angeles because that's where, that's where we wrote the show. So for the next four years, I spent you know, half, over half a year in LA um, working on Queer's Folk, which, where I became co-executive producer and wrote uh, more episodes than, than any other writer. Yeah. And um, so it was a really lucky break. You know, they got me my first visa and it wasn't, I don't know if I would have had the courage to sort of just get on a plane and show up with a, you know, a dollar in my pocket and a dream in my heart. Like, I don't know <laughs> if I would have done it. I really don't. I, I, I feel like that was part of my, I didn't come to this, you know, I remember meeting a lot of people around that, that point in my life who just seemed to have so much more confidence than I did. And sometimes I, I'd have to be honest, they didn't have the kind of talent I, I felt I had, but they had something else. And, and I wasn't sure if I would have the kind of swagger to make it through uh, in LA and um, so I was very lucky to have mentors and that, that early first break that got me down here and has, you know, has basically made it, you know, I, since that's been 20 years and I would say about mm, at least two thirds of that time has been spent still in LA. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Actually, how you said you didn't have as much like confidence, but you had the talent. It's almost like. I always love the saying, like the cream always rises to the top. Like it. I love that saying too. And I've, I've come to realize that it's not always true. I think there's two, I think there's two skills. I mean, there's, there's talent and then there's the hustle and, and I'm sure you see it in, in your community as well. And dance where even, you know, dance is like, you know, classical music. You, you, you really can tell if somebody's good or not, like, like yes. writing is, is kind of subjective, but there's just some empirically clear factors mm-hmm. of, you know, how somebody's, you know, um, skills are as, as a particularly in the world of ballet. But even within that, there are dancers who have such um, ambition and drive and capacity to um, promote themselves yeah. in some cases in, in it, it further than they, their talents might merit. And you have people with incredible talent who just don't know, who don't believe in themselves enough, who don't know how to hustle, who don't know how to walk up to that artistic director and shake their hand and, or, or go for that interview. And so I think it's a real tricky sort of um, calculus that, that we have as we find ourselves as artists. So like, where are we in that spectrum? And ideally we're a bit of both, but usually if you're, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest to say, yeah, okay, I've got huge ambition and I've got huge chutzpah, but I, I got to work on my craft or I'm a really good writer. I'm super disciplined. I write every day and I'm terrible at promoting myself. Yeah. And you know, you, you, so I used to think it was just enough to do good work. And, and I've, I, I've had to learn that just by watching 
others and, and myself in comparison to others, but, you know, you have to do a little more sometimes. Yeah. And so at least in my journey, that was the case. Yeah. No, that's so true. I completely agree with that. Now, do you have any advice that you would give to your younger self? Wow. Well, firstly, don't give yourself one, even though I was lucky, do not ever say to yourself, I'm going to give myself one chance to be great. And if I'm not great, I'll quit. Like, which was basically the rule I gave myself. I would never, never recommend that to anybody. So no on that. Um, and I think, um, I think what I, you know, I think for me, it was the fear. It was, you know, we talked a little bit about that roller coaster. Yeah. It was in the, it, you know, you have these times of great abundance and confidence and, and certainty. Mm -hmm. And then you have times where you don't know what's coming next. And I think it would be advice to my younger self would be just, you know, trust that it is a roller coaster. Trust that it, once you're down, you just go back up again. And, mm -hmm. and it, and there were so many times where looking back, I would be, you know, oh my gosh, you know, there's nothing happening. I'm, I'm at the end of my road. Oh, sorry, when I was in it, I felt like there's nothing happening. Yeah. I'm at the end of the road. Looking back, I was like, oh, it was two and a half months yeah. between jobs. But at the time I'm having like a giant existential crisis that I'll never work again and I'm terrible. And so I think it was, I, I think I would just say to like, to trust that if you do just keep, you know, holding onto your values as a good person and as a, as a, as a artist doing the best that, you know, you can, that you will come out of those, those troughs and, and reach those heights. And that, I wish I knew that. I wish I could have trusted that more yeah. in those, those younger years. No, that's yeah. amazing advice. And I think especially like during this time, I think a lot of artists and just people in general can, can really apply that. <laughs> now, Michael, we're going to move on to Tiny Pretty Things as I personally have watched the show and I absolutely loved it. You did an incredible job. Um, and pretty much every person I know has also watched it and some have a dance background and some have nothing to do with dance as well, which I think is so amazing because it's getting all audiences in and I love that. What initially drew you to Tiny Pretty Things? Wow. Well, I uh, was working with I had been having a series of meetings with Insurrection Media and specifically um, their development person, Jordana Freyberg. And they have a first look deal with HarperCollins, the publisher. And so she was sort of sending me mostly sort of like these vaguely kind of Hunger Gamesian, dystopian kind of novels. And most of them, they weren't bad, they just weren't me. And yeah. so I, and, you know, whenever you pass on a project, you're always like, oh, God, they'll never come back to me again. But, you know, Jordana was just had she had a feeling about me and and a feeling about her and me and that we would be a yes. good fit. And so when I saw when I read the book. I. It, I didn't feel like on the surface, the narrative of the book was a series. It's essentially, you know, about these these young dancers, female dancers is basically strictly from the point of view of these female dancers, you know, auditioning for a part of the Nutcracker. And, but, 
but it it twigged in me my own memories of my work in the in the dance realm yeah. and there was something about the kind of authenticity of the storytelling and the truth of that world that wasn't kind of leaning into and this is not at all meant as a diss to 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 the movie but it wasn't a kind of black swan kind of high gothic yeah. kind of that sort of familiar sort of um take on ballet that we're so used to seeing now ultimately yes there are things in the show that are are, are sort of bigger swings yeah I, I sort of like to say sort of like ultimately it's like um like real, truth plus 10 percent but yeah. it's rooted in truth it's not sort of rooted in the outside in it wasn't about so that's kind of what excited me about it was like was like there's somebody trying to tell a story about the truth of the psychological truth of what it is to be a ballet to be in the world of ballet and at that cusp of you know where you're where you're struggling to figure out if you're going to make it or not mm. and i and then the other thing i will say which is is actually connected to what you just said about you know the people that you you've known like that's the mm. high, highest compliment you could pay me is both that the people in the dance world feel okay yeah it's maybe 10 percent more but ultimately i see myself in this i know this world i know this is yes. somebody who is who's understanding what it feels like to walk this path or to dance i suppose dance this path <laughs> but also then to use dance as a more universal Mm. experience that i i would be dead in the water if the dance community did not feel uh like they wanted to watch the show and they did, did not embrace this show but by this but also i would be dead if only the dance community yes. i used to sort of liken it to i don't know if you know like comic-con yeah it's yeah in 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 uh, i think the main one is in in san diego yeah. and you know if you've got the next marvel movie out like you need those Comic-Con people on side. And now they're probably ultimately 1% of 1% of your audience. True. But those fans will destroy you if, if they don't feel, uh, if they're not on, on side with this. So I knew I needed them, but I also knew I needed to use dance to talk about broader themes. And so that's where I sort of, I came back to Insurrection and, and to Jordana and I said, okay, if I were to do a series about ballet, it would be about young men as well as young women. It would be about adults as well as, as, um, as the, as the teenagers. And, you know, to their credit, the authors of the books, they, they, they say they would have done that too. Like they wanted to do that. They just, you know, they could only do so much within the pages of, uh, of their, the, the novels. Um, um, so that's where I felt like, I felt like it was a way to talk, to do a big swing, richly emotional, beautiful ensemble drama with mm -hmm. the stakes that are relatable. Um, and I felt like I knew how to sell it. And I felt like I was the person for the job. And whenever I can sort of feel like somebody else could do it better, I'll, I'll pass on a project. But when I can sort of look somebody in the eye and say like, I know how to make this show and make it good, then I'm, I'm up for the job. A hundred percent. I honestly loved everything about it. Like I couldn't imagine it being done any differently, but I wanted to say as well that I felt personally watching it as a dancer and being in that world that 
every character you could relate to in some way. And I thought that was really well done because it wasn't always necessarily, you know, the typical, there wasn't a perfect girl in the series. And that was a big part of it for me, actually. It's a really good observation. I, and, and the actors, um, we talked a lot about this, that when you're doing, if you're doing it right, in my opinion, Mm. when you're doing an ensemble drama, no one is a villain and no one is a hero. Yeah. And, you know, for example, to be specific, I think we're all invited, for example, to see Bette off the top and to judge her pretty harshly through yes. the first couple episodes. And we're, by the same token, we're invited to, to look at June and think she's just mm-hmm. this sweet, sweet girl. Mm-hmm. But nobody's what you first meet them. And I think what that's doing is it's sort of teaching us compassion. It's, it's when we meet somebody even if it's just somebody like that you're walking by, I mean, when we used to do things like, you know, ride a bus or, you know, oh, yeah. walk by people on the street, remember that? But you, you know, you make a quick snap judgment about people. And, but what happens is once you know their story, you, it's really hard to judge people. Mm-hmm. And so what continued to happen was that we kept pivoting who was the essentially if you want to be technical about it, it's kind of the protagonist of a story and who was yeah. the antagonist. And, you, you know, I, I, I saw some, some stuff on social media about like people talking about like, I love you. And then it's like, I hate you. And it's like, what's going on? And it's like, but that's a family like that. And these people are a family for each other. I mean, you know, in my research and, and, and as you well know, I mean, if you're going to, a, if you grew up with these people, if you left your family at, you know, age 12, the, these people are the, are your family and you will yell and scream at them in one minute and you will fiercely defend them to the hill in the next and that was a really exciting theme for me and I thought it was really something important for all of us to hear in terms of judge me judge me harshly or judge me nicely and be prepared for those judgments to change Mm. and also to model that kind of um even if, even if you're my worst competitor, even if, even if you betrayed me yesterday, I will stand up for you tomorrow. And so that was really a big part of the, the story. So I love that that's something that you're picking up on. Definitely. And I think it's like as well, like how in the studio that you did feel that rivalry and competition, but then outside at the end of the day, like everyone is friends and they do tend to get along as a family and that's so true. In yeah. The yeah. Like, I think, I mean, it's, it's a fairly um, uh, uh, blunt kind of story moment, but it's an important one for me in episode two, when even despite all of those, um, you know, internal mm. issues that everyone's churning, all these churning things, when they go out to that nightclub, they firstly, they fucking dance yeah. there hard out pardon my language um they if you need to say it again without it they did okay (laughs) um and they they love that about each other and then when somebody I think it's Shane that says you know you come for one of us you come for all of us and and that is the credo and you know it was an important thing for me to sort of celebrate how and it, it came from talking to dancers like you and, and at various stages of, of the career where they, you know, I talked to people from age 12 to probably 70. Mm. And, you know, 
that, you know, so often it was that idea that nobody gets you like another dancer and you almost, you almost like walk the world kind of differently. You're like, yeah. you know, and people, especially I, I noticed it was a story that I heard time and time again about the young men where, you, you know, you would just sort of go out and there'd be like four of you. And it's like all these, it, it's like kind of what Mateo says to these guys is like, who are you? Like, what are you? Like, you look like a freak. Yes. Because you are, I mean, once you get on stage, you look, you're amazing. You know, you're, you're this elite athlete, this perfect physical specimen, but just walking through the regular life, like most people are like turning heads because yeah. you don't look like a normal person specifically a normal young man and so I thought that was a really interesting thing and I felt it was an important thing to sort of discuss in the in the um in this in the in the storytelling definitely and the the book it was set in New York I recall what made yeah. you decide doing it in Chicago perfect perfect segue so um Actually, if, if, if you'll permit, I'm going to go back to Queer's Folk on this one. Yeah, so of course. when Russell T. Davies first set the British Queer's Folk, he didn't set it in London. He set it in Manchester, you know, a smaller city in, in the UK. And, and my bosses on that show, they didn't set it in New York or San Francisco. They set it in Pittsburgh. And what that does, and so, so, so what, what I decided to do was to set it in Chicago. And it, because of a similar reason is that when you're looking to tell a story and you, you're looking to tell a, a series that can you know, run and have many, many expressions of story, you're looking for like the, as the, to mac, essentially maximize conflict. Mm -hmm. And you know, as somebody who has from time to time, certainly visited many times and, and briefly lived in Manhattan, you know, every 10th person is walking around with a dance bag. I mean, so, so it's a world that gets dance. There are, uh, I believe five, um, you know, world-class elite ballet training programs in New York city yeah. on that, uh, the, on the Island of Manhattan. There are, you are not really going to get on the subway and get strange looks. And I thought, well, what I, what I was int intrigued by was more the kind of a fictionalized version of the Joffrey Ballet, which is Chicago's ballet company. And they also have a feeder school where you're the only game in town, where when you walk out the door of your school, you are a stranger. You are, and you are looked at differently. And we don't use, we don't go to that story point every uh, episode at all. Yeah. But, but I wanted that to be available. I wanted that idea that they, they have to stick together because there's no one else like them. Okay. And that in terms of options within Chicago, and of course, most people, even if, they're, if they study at a feeder school, they'll go on to dance somewhere else. But, but yeah. there's one game in town. And it's the, you know, in our case, it's the City Works Ballet, but it's a kind of fictional Joffrey. Yeah. And, and so I felt like it just gave us more stakes mm -hmm. and I liked the idea. We don't do it too much, but it's that, it, it is a bit like the Mateo of it all, you know, or the, or the dev of it all, like these outsiders and, and, and Mateo's family, you know, like they don't get her. They don't mm -hmm. understand what she does, yeah. but I wanted, I wanted a character like that to benefit from the, from being forced out with it when she left her comfort zone 
that there were gifts for her to be found and challenges as well. So that's why I felt like it just gave us more options, uh, narrative kind of options. And, and um, yeah, so that's why I did it. That's amazing. And I think like, I was, as I was talking to Danny and, and Kashmir, like the extensive research you must've done yourself, as you said, interviewing people from 12 to like 70 in the dance world is extraordinary. And I think, you know, you should be congratulated like a million times on that because I think dancers like myself and you can all see throughout the move, the series that it is so accurately Done. Well, we, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. That means everything to me. I mean, we, you know, I did the research in the conception of the show. I, we had dance consultants throughout the, you know, the writing of it. Uh, we really benefited from our, our major dance consultant and, and lead choreographer, Jennifer Nichols, but also the, the, the wide array of choreographers that we brought in. And also, frankly, from, um, hiring dancers. I mean, yes, that we, yeah. we hired dancers as in our, as our cast members. So, so it was a constant conversation. And, you know, I, I hope that there's like little details because we certainly intended to put them in there. Mm-hmm. There's little details that people would say, oh my God, that was totally like that. Or, yeah. you know, whether it was like, wow, a ballet class, or like a bar class goes or how it was to live in a dorm. Yeah. You know, we really, really wanted to show the world what it's like and to and to to be a mirror for those you know amazing people who have lived through that and yeah yeah i i totally agree and now we got so many questions when i put it on the instagram about the casting and after speaking again with danny and Kashmir, they said it was a huge worldwide search several times can you tell me about that Wow. Well, it's, it is related to what I said about hiring dancers. So yeah. when we, when we sold the show, I was very adamant that um, the way I put it is we were going to hire dancers who can act mm. and not the other way around. Yeah. And this was sort of interestingly on the heels of another Netflix series that, that wasn't in the dance world, but required um, a great sort of physical prowess in a certain Kind of physical skill set and they didn't do that they hired a great you know who somebody they believed to be a great actor but didn't have the sort of chops in the sort of physical uh, realm and so you know they spent um a million dollars in face replacement and they spent um a lot of their camera time you know doing sort of technical things to capture rather than you know just so I was like, don't worry, we're going to find these people. And it was very specific, as you know. I mean, this is a very diverse um, yeah. set of characters. Uh, they come from around the world. They're racially diverse. Yeah. And they, and I, I just, uh, and the great thing that we had with Netflix was that we were ordered in February and we didn't go to camera until July. So we had quite a bit of runway to find these beautiful creatures because uh, a lot of shows you know you you sort of have like a couple weeks really to cast a yeah. show and this would never have done that so the first thing we immediately did is we hired three casting departments uh, we hired los angeles uh, robert ulrich we hired uh, new york and london which was um uh, Stuart whitley uh, who are primarily a broadway stage yeah. uh, 
um, casting people, but they know dancers. They know everything about dancers. I mean, they, these, they've done everything from like, you know, Chicago for the last, the, the Chicago yeah. musical for the last like 30 years and all these things. So they know that. And then we hired a Toronto casting person. So they all worked like an amazing team. And so for the, uh, the main, obviously there's a lot of characters who aren't dancers or who don't, they, they might yeah. play former dancers, but they don't have to dance. But, and forgive me if you've heard all of this before, but we, we basically gave a very specific set of dance uh, routines that we expected everyone to record as well as the, what we call sides, the, 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 the scenes of dialogue that you're sort of acting. And so I worked with Jennifer Nichols to evaluate the dancing capacity. So it was sort of a one, a, a scale of one to 10. And I'm meanwhile also evaluating just the acting. And it was a really interesting kind of education for a lot of our producing partners who, who could sort of say, well, sh you know, she or he's a really good actor and they seem okay yeah. in, in dance. And it was like, no, they're not. Like they don't have it. There's just nothing, but there's, there's no way, like this person can't get on point, you know, or mm -hmm. that, you know, and to the point that, you know, I was trying to win arguments sort of saying like, we're looking at an injury in three weeks, you know, of production if we, if we cast this person. Mm -hmm. So it got to the point where we, we were very, um, we'd gotten a few of the, the cast pretty early. We cast Brennan Close to play Shane, I think was our first dancer that we cast. Uh, Tori, uh, who, who uh, plays Delia was fairly early. Um, Michael Rosen, I think we had him audition for three roles. <laughs> like he, we kept coming back we kept going back to him. It's like, okay, try this, try this, try this. Um, and uh, there was a couple we were really starting to get nervous about. Like, does this person even exist on the planet? You know, like who, who can be these specific yeah. um, qualities as a performer? And so I was nervous, but we, we found them. We, you know, some of the late breaking arrivals, uh, uh, Barton uh, Copperthwaite, we found him in, he was currently doing a touring production in China and did this crazy, like these days, Zoom, everything yeah. Zoom. But at the time it was like, oh, what's this thing called Zoom? <laughs> um, and he like did an audition, like at the crack of dawn, you know, in his hotel room. And we were just like, Oh my gosh, we finally found um, our, our Oren um, and, and uh, finding, finding Kylie to play Nevea was also one that where we looked at so many people and we were starting to get nervous uh, just because we didn't find somebody who had the right constellation of, of talents and qualities. And she walked in the door and we were just like, oh my gosh, thank heavens. And it was a similar thing. One of the last ones, you would think like the easy thing is like the, you know, for ballerinas, it's like the sort of, if I may be so blunt, sort of the pretty white girl. Yeah. But we, it took us a long time to find our bet. And when uh, Cash walked in the door uh, in LA for a callback, um, I, we, we were just completely taken by we already knew she was a good dancer and then she yeah. just nailed it in the, in the performance oh. and what I would do in these callbacks is I I think it's sort of a bit rare but in a you know this is a giant ensemble drama so I did not have room for a diva I I basically I used to say like I can do everything that is needed of me in this show except manage a diva 
And yes. so a big part of the auditions were like these people, you know, you come in for an audition, you expect to like read your script, maybe, maybe do one scene yeah. a second time. And I'd be like, okay, hold on, let's talk. What's your story? Who are you? What is, what are you connected to? So we'd end up like having these like 20 minute conversations. And it was really a way for me to sort of understand this person and figure out if they would fit in the alchemy of this world. And as I'm sure the other actors have told you and anyone who's like following them on Instagram or whatever, I mean, this, these people bonded like something yeah. I've never seen before. I mean, they, talk about a family. These people are a family to one another. And it is one of the things I'm so most proud of about the series is that that sort of fierce love and support that they've shown each other. And, you know, I had many of them, I, I wonder what, what you think about this, but I had many of them sort of come up into my office at various times and just say, like, I'm not used to this. Like, I, you know, like dancer, the typical thing with dancers is that it's hard. It's hard to find those people that you trust and and you can open yourself up to and, and that you don't feel threatened by. And mm -hmm. so it was really a process of finding these, we, used to, we call them unicorns, you know, these yeah. people who could play these roles, be phenomenal actors, crack our hearts open as dancers, mm -hmm. and also have that little something extra that I felt was going to really contribute to my values as a storyteller and be part of a, a, a big team. Uh, in the end, I think we cast five of, of the sort of nine characters out of our New York office. So, so I think that was four out of New York and, and then Daniela out of London. We cast uh, um, Brennan out of Toronto and then we cast the rest out of Los Angeles. So it was, uh, it was, uh, but yeah, I was biting my nails at a point. Like I'm telling everyone, oh yeah, no, these people exist. We'll find them, don't worry. <laughs> And uh, so we were super, super happy when we, we finally did. That's amazing. You saw, I mean, the casting, I couldn't imagine any other way. Like everyone was, and as you said, so diverse in the cast. It was amazing. Yeah. Like, honestly, lastly. There, I love, I'll just add a few. I'll just add that there were still some changes, you know, like we, we thought that uh, Shane was, I thought Shane, I'd written Shane originally from the South and I'd written um, Caleb, uh, Damon Gillespie's role as quite a small role. And yeah. when we cast Brennan, I was like, well, I don't wanna make him from the South. He's not from the South. Like I just, and, and Daniela, you know, was originally, I don't know if she told you this, but you know, the character was originally an uh, American. And we were like, after like day two of her being around, like this is long before we went to camera, yeah. I was like, can we make you, cause she was doing a great, yeah. um, you know, American accent, but I was like, let's make you, you know, let's make you British. Let's yeah. go global on this, you know? And, and so, and then we made Damon's character, uh, Caleb from the South, because he is from the South. And he was like, right. you know, so wanting to play a character that didn't, you know, lean into all the cliches of, of people from the American South. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of kind of, a lot of conversations and that kind of goes back to what I was saying about just my, my enjoyment of working with um, uh, actors is that I was really open. The door was open to talk about the characters and I wanted to write to people's strengths and their passions. So there was still some degree. It's not like I, I created these boxes and you, I didn't change the box. Once we cast, once we cast, we wrote people up, we um, changed sort of background stories just to really make sure that they could kind of hit it out of the park. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think that was actually great that like Daniela was English because it's like in international ballet schools like that, everyone comes from everywhere. Like you rarely see a school with like all the same, you know, background. So true. And even to the point where our sort of, our, our sort of, um, the, when we rounded out the company, we, we cast, you know, another um, 10 or so dancers who will be familiar to you all because they're in every episode. Yeah. And two of them, Evgeny and Kirill, are Russian. And I was like, let's get some Russian in here. Like, yeah. you're right. I mean, you can't go to a school and not no. have some Russian dude at the school. Like, it's just going to happen. Yeah. Right. So let's just talk about that. And, and, and they're obviously connect and, you know, it's not a big factor in mm-hmm. it, but I, um, but they're really, yeah, I wanted, that's part of the beauty of ballet is that yeah. there's so many, there's it, 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 it's from so many, and it's why, you know, Ramon is from, you know, the characters from Cuba yes. and you, you, you know, and you have somebody from France and, and also, of course, as you know, those are all kind of different styles of ballet. So, so ballet is, is not just sort of one kind of movement language and that it's benefits from being such a global um, expression of creativity and those, that cross pollination is really powerful. So I wanted to kind of lean into that for sure. Definitely. And that was like, as you were saying earlier, that's kind of like one of those little details that you kind of just see and you're like, oh yeah, it's so true. Like ballet is international. It's not just all the same American dancers. Now, lastly, I have one more question for any dancers out there or people in general wanting to get into acting. What would be your best advice? Wow. Well, I would say um, if you want to be an actor, make sure two things, a couple things. Make sure you really want to act. Make sure that what you're not wanting to do is walk red carpets and wear wonderful gowns because that's about, talk about 1% of 1%. That's, that's about how much of your life is spent, you know, in the glamour side of it. That acting is a really challenging, emotionally challenging, physically challenging. You know, you're up at the crack of dawn, you're working long days. It requires incredible stamina and a sort of, decency uh, and collaboration. So you have to really be up for that. If, if what you wanna do is to work in this world. I mean, and if you want, if, if you're not, not up for that, there's plenty of people who can act and be fully uh, satisfied and realized in, in not doing it for a living. So mm-hmm. I think that that's an important discrepancy or, or, or distinction is that um, do you, to love acting does not mean you have to make it your career Mm. and that there's so many pathways to still having the pleasure uh, uh, and creative expression of acting that don't demand those things of you and they demand those sacrifices and risks. Um, If at the end of it, you still look yourself in the mirror and you still want to do it. I say, you know, find a great acting studio that um, inspires you that helps you, you know, with an a, with a teacher or teachers that you really feel uh, um, uh, connect to what you're about. And it'll be the beginning of a way of, of being a, uh, finding a community. Now, if you're at an age where you can choose to do so, you might want to go to an act, like a proper full-time kind of mm. graduate, you know, a, a, a undergrad kind of university or to study a kind of um, uh, kind of conservatory sort of option. Those are completely 
great. And, you know, you just have to find the best one for you where you live. But what you come out of that with is, is hopefully great technique and a community of people, the beginnings of a community that will, of course, only evolve over time. Um, and then, you know, I, I say that that's the main thing to focus on. Don't, the, the last thing, these days is sort of outside in. It's like, oh, I've got to get an agent and I've got to get my, you know, 100,000 followers on Instagram. And those things are not what will make you succeed. You will get your agent, you will get a following once you, you know, really do the work of an actor. And so I think it's really to sort of learn about yourself and to learn about your craft through some form of, of um, schooling, which is, which is what you would do for any other, you, you know, any other thing. Um, and, and then from that, you just have, you know, you, you lean on those friends, you lean on that technique and you trust yourself because it's going to be, you're going to have be on your own roller coaster and it won't be easy, but so you have to really know that it's something you want to do. And it's also okay to revise plans. I mean, there's so many people, certainly in, in LA, there's so many people who came here to be an actor and they're doing something else. And they're super glad of that journey and that training of what it taught them and, and who it, it made them be. And they're doing something maybe connected, but maybe not really, you know, and I think that's totally fine as well. So I guess, I mean, is that kind of helpful? That's amazing um, advice. Yeah, okay, okay. Amazing. Okay, <laughs> Give good. me like five things in one. I love it. <laughs> okay, good. Oh, Anyhow, thank you so, so much, Michael, for the podcast today. I learned so much and your advice is amazing. Thank you. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And thank you so much for your interest in the series and your support of it. That means so much to everyone on it. I really, really um, appreciate it. And thank you for this opportunity to um, connect with, with you and, your, and the, the, the fans of the show and the fans of your podcast. I, it's a really great pleasure. Okay, guys, that is a wrap for today's episode. I had the best time speaking with Michael. He is such an intelligent, incredible, and inspiring person. I truly am honored to have been speaking to him. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And thank you again. Lots of love, Audrey.